there's too many people that are isolated in trying to do good work for God. They're all trying to figure out how to market Catholicism in a fresh way that actually engages people. So we tried it the first year, had tremendous success. It's exciting. I'm having fun. I'm meeting a lot of really great people. I have been to all of these shows over the last year, and by far this is my favorite. I want to emphasize the importance of what you're doing as lay apostles in the CMN. The Catholic Marketing Network has a service that the marketplace needs and the church needs. There's the distribution of a lot of Catholic religious items, but most of the people you talk to, they say, well, we really come for the networking. It's a great joy to be here. In fact, it was almost 10 years ago that I came to the Catholic Marketing Network for the first time. There was a friend and I putting out sacred music. St. Ignatius Press picked it up and they showcased us and before you knew it, we had sold 20,000 copies to people like you. And that sprung board a company that now has reach in about eight different countries. I found really good and you know very interesting because I like when people come from everywhere and we can learn a lot. We come to show something but they show us too, so that's, uh, that's an amazing. This is always one of my favorite, favorite, favorite events. I always love coming here and being here because it's, uh, it's such a synergy to be around like-minded people with the same ideals, the same love for the church, so it's beautiful. Welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. This is a show all about implanting hope in our hearts. I'm Bill Snyder, joined by my friend Ann DeSantis. We're glad you're here for our uplifting conversation about faith and how it sustains our hearts through all the seasons of life. Thanks for walking with us. And good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Sowing Hope Podcast. I am Bill Snyder. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, this evening, and we are continuing on to our very last discussion on the Beatitudes. Don't worry, it's not our last show, folks. It's just the last episode that we're doing on this Beatitude series because, well, we've run out of Beatitudes after today. <laughs> so uh, we are um, going to be talking about persecution because the Beatitude that we'll be talking about today is Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Thus they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And uh, so as I say that, I also welcome in my friend Anne DeSantis. Anne, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm amazing, Bill. Great to be here <laughs> with you. Always, yes. And, you know, I, I can't believe we've reached the end of this um, Beatitude series. And the other thing, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about endings and happy endings, this isn't necessarily the happiest of endings. Of the, when, when you're thinking about a series, you always want to end on a happy note and, and whatnot. And today we're going to be talking about persecution. Why? Because Jesus ended the Beatitudes with persecution. Um, and, and it's an interesting topic for us to talk about, especially today in the cultural climate we live in. I think it's just going to be a wonderful conversation. It really is. Um, Bill, I have to say, I've really, I have thoroughly enjoyed the, this series that we've been doing every week. And, and I hope our listeners are too. I think they are. And if they haven't been able to listen to some of the other ones, I just invite them to go back because this is like the last one in the series. Not to say you need to stop what you're listening to now and go back because it doesn't matter what order you listen to them in. But, but this is going to be a really good one. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when, when we think about persecution, um, and in, in particular, um, the you know Christian persecution, right? Like, you know, what what comes to mind for you when you when you think about being persecuted? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's not something in America. I think we're um, been been familiar with over our history of 
as a country, um, you know, like being beheaded, being, you know, I mean, like, 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 like the former Christians, you know, of Christ's time, I mean, they, they were really persecuted. They, they were martyred. Uh, many were martyred, you know, all the, all the apostles were martyred except for John, you know, and, and they attempted to martyr him too. Uh, it just didn't work. So like, you know, what, um, you know, what comes to mind when you think about persecution and, and how can it relate to us today? Well, first thing that comes to mind, I guess, is sort of worldwide uh, persecution that people suffer in so many ways. Of course, we as Catholics think of the Catholics and the Christians who are persecuted throughout the world. But I think all of us in some small or maybe large way throughout our lives can be persecuted uh, for our faith, for living like Christ. You know, when you walk the path with Christ, it's not an easy one because it is one of renunciation. It is one of not your own glory or your own satisfaction, but of Christ's, what, what pleases him most. And when you do that, you know, a lot of people at the heart of it don't like that because there is an evil force that's against that, isn't there? Yeah, Bill? absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, we are, we are in a battle, folks, right? We are in a battle. And Satan does not like Christians. He doesn't want he doesn't want souls in heaven with Christ. His number one goal is to divide that. And so that means that we will encounter difficulty, as you said, Anne. You know, we are going to encounter difficulty. We're going to encounter, um, you know, persecution because Satan is trying to keep our souls out of heaven. Christ wants to welcome us into heaven. So there's going to be struggle. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be difficulty when it comes to understanding and uh, growing in our faith. It just is how it's going to be. Um, but, I, but I think it's about how we approach persecution. It's how do we approach when we are persecuted. And, you know, there's a story that comes to mind for me uh, because I, I had the privilege of living with conventional Franciscans uh, at a place called Marytown, which is the national shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe. And uh, for those of you who don't know the story of St. Maximilian Kolbe uh, in depth, there are plenty of resources, and I encourage you to Google them, find them, uh, and, and read them. But I had uh, the privilege of living at the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe, and uh, Maximilian Kolbe, uh, who is a Catholic saint, was um, was uh, b born in, um, you know, Poland, and he was a uh, Polish Catholic priest, um, and he he, he lived in the time of the Holocaust. He lived in the time of World War II. And um, he was arrested for uh, spreading the Catholic faith. He had, a, um, he had a magazine called The Militia of the Immaculata. Um, and, and the organization continues on today. Um, but, but this Militia of the Immaculata had a newsletter. It went out to people all over the world. Um, it goes out to people all over the world, I should say. But, but he was spreading the Catholic faith. The Nazis did not like this. You know, you know, we think a lot about Jewish people being arrested. We think a lot about that. Of course, you know, of course, Jews were exterminated in large numbers. But Maximilian Kolbe found himself in a concentration camp, probably the most iconic, or I should say most, <laughs> I don't think iconic is the right word, um, but, but the most recognizable, anyway, uh, name of the concentration camps, Auschwitz. And he found himself in Auschwitz. And um, in Auschwitz, there was an escape one day. So, you know, Maximilian Kolbe, being a Catholic priest, um, you know, I, I think approached life a little differently in, in, in this persecuted environment. I mean, it was horrific, you know, horrific conditions, conditions that we can't even imagine. 
uh, here in our minds. But Max, uh, when when he was in this concentration camp, as I said, there was an escape one day, and so to um, to discourage any further escapes, what they did was they lined up all the prisoners. They lined every single one of them up, and they said, uh, "We're going to be selecting ten men to die." In the starvation chamber. That's what we're going to do. We're going to send you to the starvation chamber. Ten of you randomly are going to be selected. And you're going to go to the starvation chamber. Uh, and die there. And uh, one of the men. Uh, Francis Ganichek. What's his name? Uh, he, was a, he was a Jewish man. He had, um, he had a wife and children. And, and, and whatnot. Uh, he, he was one of the men. That was selected by the by the SS officers to die in the starvation chamber. And immediately he dropped to his knees and he, and he, um, cried out. He just cried out in, in, in this loud voice, you know, I, please don't take me. Please don't take me. My, you know, my, my, my wife and my children, you know, please, please. Um, and, and, and at that point, St. Maximilian Colby raised his hand and he said, may I speak? Can I come forward? And most of the time, if you raised your hand and spoke, you know, out of turn, they, you were just shot on the spot. Like the, the the little German Luger came out, and you were just dead. But by the grace of God, that didn't happen. And Maximilian Kolbe um, was, you know, was uh, ushered forward to to speak to the one of, one of the head officers, and the and the head officer asked him his name, and he didn't say his name. He said. He said, I am a Catholic priest. I am a Catholic priest, is what he said. And I want to take that man's spot. I'll die for him. He, you send him back. I'll die for him. And that's exactly what happened. Maximin Kobe was led to the starvation chamber. Uh, and, you know, now, now what happens after that, of course, isn't recorded, um, you know, it doesn't have good records anywhere because, you know, they were sent to the starvation chamber, but many, um, accounts of, of it from, you know, hearsay say that Maximilian Colby, when he was led off to the starvation chamber was leading the people in prayers and songs, uh, daily. He was praying for them. He was, uh, you know, administering uh, you know, just prayers and 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 praying for these people and and helping them die and die in the grace of God. And um, at, at at one point, there's a legend. At one point, that this this one of the SS officers came in and and said to him, you know, I am so upset with you. Why won't you just die? I want you to die. You know, and trying to inflict more pain through through starvation. But the crazy thing is that Maximilian Kolbe would not die. They wouldn't die. He wouldn't die. Uh, he just kept singing and praising God. And, you know, it was like, you know, 10 days or whatever without food. And here he is still going. And the, the incredible thing is that they had to poison him to death with carabolic acid on the night before the Assumption. So August 14th, 1941 was when uh, Maximilian Kolbe was executed inside the starvation chamber because he wouldn't die. <laughs> and he just kept praising God and singing these praises. And so we think about persecution. Yes, was Maximilian Kolbe persecuted? Yes, he was persecuted for his Catholic faith, for spreading his Catholic faith. And he was and he was doing this not just during like, you know, again, like I was talking about earlier, the um the you know, like during the Roman times in the Colosseum, right? Like, you know, that time. No, this was like cars were on the road, folks. Like, you know, this was, you know, what, 60, 70 you know, 80 years ago, like that's what we're talking about. Like this is that time that he was living and, and thriving. So, you know, he can be an incredible example for how to have faith through persecution. You know, he, he was absolutely persecuted, but he absolutely trusted and placed his hope in God. And the, and the incredible thing is that Francis Ganichek, the man whom he saved, lived and survived the concentration camp and, uh, and made it to like age, I think he lived to about age 93, if I'm correct. He lived in 93, and then he actually made it to Maximilian Kolbe's canonization as a saint. You know, think about that. The man that, you know, and, and, and he was a lifelong Jew. He never converted to Christianity or anything like that. But to be able to make the canonization, the canonization of the person who saved you, 
what a what a wild thing. I love that story, uh, Bill, and and I've read it and heard it before, and you can hear it over and over again because the love that was inside of him was the fire of the Holy Spirit. It was basically he was living Christ, wasn't he? I mean, that's what it came down to. He he personified Jesus Christ, especially toward that end when he was with all those people who were dying. And his only wish was that they could live a happy death and that they could go to heaven and that they could be forgiven of any sins that they had. Um, and, and he wanted to bring God to them because, you know, you and I and the people listening, we can't imagine what they went through at the end of their lives and that sacrifice and the sacrifice that he made was incredible. And he was living that last beatitude, that eighth one, wasn't he, Bill? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that the words of, you know, you know, you know the promises of Christ are really important to remember in the beatitudes. You know, so like, blessed are the persecuted, right? You know, yeah, that's sad. But here's the here's the reward, right? Right? And, and it says, you know, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the result of f being faithful through persecution like Maximilian Kolbe? I mean, you know, he's he's an example of a canonized saint, Right. You know, now there are many uncanonized saints. There's many saints that are in heaven that that are that are not canonized, right? But but the persecution that he endured, he he was assured of heaven. You know, and the church says he is in heaven. He's he's been declared by the church as in heaven with God. Like, and that you know, so so if we are faithful, I I really think that it's faithful through persecution. You know, that's the other thing too, right? Like Jesus is saying, you know, when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me, right? Like that means that you, there, there's an, there's an aspect of faithfulness that has to remain there. Like, you know, it, it's not just running away, right? It's not just running away. Oh yeah. You know what? Or, or saying, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. I'm going to deny Jesus. Like, you know, I mean, Peter did this too, right? St. Peter did this too. But the reality is, is that, you know, if, if we can remain faithful through the persecution and not deny Christ, the reward, you know, is, is, is heaven. Yes, Bill, I, I agree with you. And it's the truth. And when we think about our own lives, there's times in our own lives where th this happens to us, not that we will become exactly like Maximilian Colby, and we will be martyr. A lot of us won't. Most of us probably won't be. But there are times in our lives when we have crucial decisions that we make when it comes to sticking up for what we really and truly believe in. And when there are people in our lives and people who aren't in our lives too, who will persecute us for that. And it's persecuting you for doing the right thing. And I know that we could probably talk about that on a personal level too, but that would be a long podcast, um, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I think to some of our listeners out there who are with us on this podcast, they can understand. And I just found something from Catholic culture online that says that the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who thirst for holiness, those who are merciful those who are pure in heart and those who are peacemakers might experience persecution for Christ's sake. But in the end, this persecution is a cause of joy of great recompense in heaven. The path of the Beatitudes is one of Paschal journey that leads from life according to the world to one that is of God. From an existence guided by the flesh, that is by selfishness, to one guided by the spirit. I thought that was good because it kind of encompasses like everything we've been talking about over these weeks Yes. with the other Beatitudes and how this one is like the one that sums it all up, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's it's kind of a capstone to, to everything because yeah, you're right. If you are doing these other things, if you're living the other Beatitudes, you're surely going to be persecuted for it. You know, the the world today, I think, I, I think we can talk a lot about 
you know, like white martyrdom, you know, where that is, you know, not not the red martyrdom of uh, of, you know, St. Maximilian Colby or or the countless other martyrs of our faith. Like we can we can talk about, you know, white martyrdom, too, where where we, we live in a culture of of white martyrdom sometimes in America here. I mean, we we are witnessing what they call cancel culture. Right. I mean, I mean, that there's that term out there, cancel culture, where people of virtue um, just are being deplatformed or being completely um, left, you know, out to to dry, you know, where you're still alive, but your livelihood has been stripped away from you. You're, uh, you know, because of your faithfulness to Christ, like that's a real thing. And that's really happening to us right now in 2021. Like, that's not some pretend, you know, thing. These are affecting people's lives. They're affecting people's uh, livelihoods. And, you know, we can, we can go through it. It's also affecting people's legacies. You know, uh, most, most recently, um, you know, a, a wonderful children's author, the most prolific children's author, uh, Dr. Seuss, came under fire from this cancel culture. And, uh, you know... Certain books of his are being just deleted, trying to be erased from from culture. Now, does does anybody have that right to do such a thing? Like, you know, this is persecution, and they're they're not calling it persecution; they're calling it cancel culture. They're they're you know they're saying you're in the wrong. Um, but but I think as we continue to go and and move through our future here in America, we have to really stand up, we have to really band together, and we really have to say, no, no, we, we, we do not deserve this. And, and, and through the persecution, remain faithful. But as we talked about in other previous episodes, too, you know, being, being a light to those people who are then marginalized because of the persecution. So, so if if you are seeing this happen in your in your society, in your family, in your you know community, where 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 this is happening actively, it's it's not just Dr. Seuss folks. It's it's people all over the place. If 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 you are being persecuted because of your religious views, if that is happening to you, or happening to somebody you know. You need to reach out and provide that support, you know, and, and the encouragement to them. You know, that's part of being, being the Christian, part of being the Catholic is to reach out and say, you know what, I stand with you. You're not alone. And, and yeah, this is going to be tough. It's not going to be easy, and no one likes being persecuted like this. But let's remember the end goal, and the end goal is that you and I, whenever— this heart stops beating are going to be in heaven with Christ. Perfectly said, Bill. And I agree with you about the cancel culture. I think that it's something that uh, we as a whole entire culture might not have be, been prepared to receive. Uh, if we talked about this at two, three years ago, I know that I wouldn't have known what that word meant, um, but now I do. And it's, it's a, means also for us to reflect on our personal lives because within our own families, within our own neighborhoods, within our own communities, and sad to say, even our own churches, there are people who are being uh, persecuted for the sake of righteousness, good people who are being uh, marginalized by the powerful. And that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. It comes down to Sometimes when people who are more powerful and more, well, I hate to say, but more worldly too than others that have only a, a, a goal of getting ahead and of stepping on other people, whether that be in your own family life, community, wherever it is, and then someone is being an outcast, someone is marginalized, someone is poor, needy, and in need of support. And we can be the people to stand up for those people, 
right? right? We can be, and you know, they're not always the ones that we think. You think of someone who's homeless or someone who is uh, extremely poor. And yes, of course, we're, we're including that. That's, that's, that is what it is. But it's also someone who has, as you said, has been a victim of the cancel culture. It could be someone that people gossip about. It could be that one family member that nobody talks to because there was a misunderstanding with, with one more powerful person in that family who had more influence on other people than that other person who's maybe a little more quiet or a little more virtuous that doesn't want to gossip about others. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or someone in your church community. Sad to say, not always in every church community or, or in every religious community are people living a virtuous life. There are people who look at the church as a way to get ahead, as a way to become popular and powerful. So I don't know about you, Bill, but I try to stay clear of that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I try to stay clear of that in my own life because I've seen it and uh, it is of not of God. Religion is not a checkbox. Religion is not something we go check, check a box and say, well, I went to this Catholic grade school, this Catholic high school. I go to breakfast after daily mass on Saturdays with all my friends. You know, it is, I'm a member of this council and that committee and this, it's not about that. It's about how do you treat people who come to you who need a friend? How do you treat people who want to just basically want to be heard? Or when you get a random phone call of someone who's really desperate and needs someone to talk to. Yeah. How do you how do you react when when a group of people discuss someone that you know where you know that that what they're saying is not true and even if it is true it's nobody's business for them to be discussing if that makes sense mm -hmm. absolutely and you know because uh, it can fall into gossip pretty quickly right and and you know as as Christians you know I mean you know you bring up a great point as Christians you know we have to stick together not divide like like that's you know that's part of it you know the the church culture has to examine itself you know you know we we are the body of christ like we are the body of christ and when you really sit down and meditate on that you know when you really think about it it means it's easy um during the season of Lent, when you think about going going back to your Lenten journey just a few months ago, when you think about that, like it's easier to meditate on the wounded body of Christ during Lent. So as you think about that, like, you know, think about how you are wounding the body. You know, think about where your sins are on the person of Christ. And, you know, there was no part of his body that wasn't wounded. None. Every inch of his body had a gash on it somewhere. And, you know, it, it, can, it can be through uh, slander, through whatever. But think about, you know, wounding that area of Christ. And think if it's really what you want to do. <laughs> like... Like, is that really what you want to do? As you mentioned, you know, not everybody in a church setting is is a uh, is a saint. You know, people use the church and to to get ahead, to you know, to to do things, you know, in their professional lives. That 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 practice has to be abandoned. As you mentioned, you know, to 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 be a parish council member, to do this or to do that, like. This is not a stat. This is not a status symbol, like, like, and, and if that's the way you're approaching your your faith, you're approaching it the wrong way, and you're probably persecuting others in that role. You know, you know, it's very easy, and and, and I have examples that I don't need to share publicly on air, but I've I've spent many years in in, in parish ministry. I've seen the inner workings of a parish. I've been both guilty of doing that and and on the receiving end of being hurt um by 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 people who 
really don't want authentic faith in a parish. They just want to check a box, as Anne said. Oh, I'm on this committee. I've, I've served on the altar committee, or I've served on parish council now for this many years, so I can stick it on my professional resume and get a better job. Like, I've been on that. I, I, you know, I've, I've seen that. Um, and w what I would suggest is that if, if you are in a spot like that, to really think about the, the service aspect of it, right? Like the washing of others' feet. Instead of, instead of trying to figure out, you know, how, how, how you're going to benefit from this, think about Jesus at the Last Supper and what he did, and that was wash other people's feet. Right? He, he washed the apostles' feet. And that's what we're called to do, is we're called to wash the feet of the apostles, of the other people out there serving, of our friends. We're not called to persecute them. So I, I, I really think about that, Anna, and I, and, and I take that to heart. And I know that the times that I've done it, I, I, I'm, look, I'm guilty of it. I've, I've been a parish staff member, and I've put myself as, you know, I'm like, you know, I got the key. I can do whatever I want kind of material, you know, mentality. I've been there. I've done that. I know I've wounded people. And I know that I, you know, I've had to approach those people and say, I'm really sorry for, for acting like that. That's not, that's not appropriate. That's not good. Uh, but, but, but just really, really think about that uh, because the church needs to be a place um, free, free of persecution. The church needs to be a place that is the, the, the welcoming open arms, you know, where, you know, and, and safe haven for people who are being persecuted by the world. Let's not persecute them in the church, too. Oh, so I said well said before, but I will say it again. That was well said and true. And for those of us who are Catholic involved in ministry or uh, just go to people, churchgoers, no matter what your religion, whether you're Catholic or Protestant uh, or another denomination, uh, it happens, right? I mean, because... We as humans are inclined to sin, and one of those sins is pride, right? And so that whole idea of, hey, I'm somebody, I'm religious, you know, I, I am a Eucharistic minister, or I do this or that for my pastor, or I'm friends with the bishop, you know, I'm good friends with, with some of the bishops. I mean, people use that too. Um, I thought I could read something else that I found on Catholic culture, and this has to do with the whole idea of Part of this whole uh, concept of persecution is when people and groups look at others as a nuisance. And it says that if the world lives on the basis of money, whoever demonstrates that life can be fulfilled through giving and renouncing becomes a nuisance to the system of greed. This word nuisance is the key because Christian witness alone, which does so much good for many people because they follow it, is a nuisance to those who have a worldly mentality. They experience it as a reproach. When sanctity and life lived as children of God come to the foray in that beauty, which is uncomfortable because it begs that a position be taken, either one allows oneself to be open to the question and to the good, or one rejects the light and hardens one's heart, even to the point of opposition and hounding. And that's uh, from another source, uh, it says within the Catholic culture article that I'm reading, it says it is curious. It calls our attention to see how in the persecution of martyrs, hostility grows to the point of hounding. It is enough to see the persecutions of the last century of the European dictatorship, how one arrives at this hounding of Christians against Christ Christian witness and against the hero heroism of Christians. So I think when we think about that, Bill, yeah, think about that word nuisance. I want to think yeah. that's something we can really uh, unpack. <laughs> For each and every one of us, we have felt like we were a nuisance to someone or someone came to us and they were a nuisance to us, right? And really being a Christian, I think, is when we can put the needs of other people as just as important as ours. And, and especially when we're people who are 
ministers of faith in some way. Like I look at us, even on this podcast, Bill, uh, we might not be at a pulpit or, you know, at the front of a church preaching, but we are talking to people about faith. So in some way we are ministering. Of course. So if we would ever become people, which pray to God, we won't, right. But uh, who are not open to individual people who come to us to this ministry and just have questions or whatever. Uh, we as Catholics and as Christians, I think, aren't to look at others as nuisance. And sometimes I think even in our Catholic world, whether it be Catholic nonprofits or churches, diocese, archdiocese, when people come to a church or when they call someplace, parish secretaries or other people are not to treat them like they are a nuisance to that to their day, right? And I think that's an important aspect of this whole idea of blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, right? Parish offices, dioceses, archdioceses, and pastors. I want to say this too, right? Because we have a lot of priests, pastors, and religious that are listening too. People are the gift that God has given you. If someone is asking you a question, right? You know, okay, there are boundaries, right? We all know that there's boundaries, right? We can't, we have to eat, sleep, and breathe too. But what I'm trying to say is that now, Bill, we repeat this over and over again on this podcast, that being well catechized has to include how we treat human beings. It isn't just about a checkbox. It isn't just about only theology of the body, although I love it. And I know you do too, Bill. Yeah. But it's also how we treat people. You can't treat people badly and say, I'm well catechized. And that's a line right from my new book called Love and Care for the Marginalized, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is going to be coming out in 2021. But that's one of the lines in my book. You can't treat people badly and, and proclaim that you are well catechized. I don't know if you had anything to say on that one, Bill. Oh, yeah. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. And, and you, you know what? You cannot claim to be well catechized and then be, uh, you know, like that. I totally agree. Um, the other, the other thing I think is that word nuisance. I mean, I know, you know, that word nuisance is such an important word, I think, and, a and, and one that's inspired by the Holy Spirit for sure, because, um, man, don't we treat so many people like that, Ann? You know, don't we, I mean, I mean, I know, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, I grate on people's nerves, you know, I, I, I know I do. And, you know, it, if I really want to do it, I know how to push the buttons of those I love, like my wife. I know exactly how to push. You know what I mean? And and you know they you know and they can do the same to me. You know, like 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 they know what buttons to push and 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 and, and how to irritate somebody. Like you know, and and you know, you're not going to agree with everybody that walks in your doors. You know, but especially as a parish or as a minister, and you know, here here we are. Um, you know, and as you mentioned, Anne, you know, we're doing ministry. We might not uh, physically see the faces of people, but we know we're doing ministry because uh, of of just the sheer metrics <laughs> of the internet and the number of people that are listening to this. Um, we, you know, we know we're we're out there doing ministry, and we're and we're providing hope in the midst of darkness. That's what our show's all about. But the re the reality is, is that when somebody emails us or when somebody, uh, you know pushes our button says hey you know what can, can i can i get some help and we are like no you're a nuisance get out of here you know like then then we're we're actually doing the persecution you know so we have to be careful as ministers to say you know what no god has placed this person in my life for a reason i remember i was at a i was at my very uh first parish as a youth minister and there was a there was a gentleman who um was pretty needy uh, he was he was very needy, uh, and honestly, some of the administration at the parish did not like this man. He they they knew his history. They knew that he was a uh, a, a guy that came from a, a a rather bad past. He had a he had more than you know five skeletons in his closet. You know he had he had he had some pretty uh, bad experiences, and he was and, and he had treated people pretty poorly. But um, this man had 
had entered the parish and kind of turned his life around, and he had become a caretaker for an elderly woman. That was his job. He was hired as a caretaker for an elderly woman who happened to be Catholic and went to Mass. And you would never guess it, but this man um, converted through taking this woman to Mass and to confession. He would wheel her in the wheelchair in and out of the confessional, and guess what? He finally stepped in the confessional one day. And a lot of the people at the parish uh, who, who knew this man's history, you know, maybe he was involved, they, they, had, they had alluded that he was involved in organized crime and a bunch of other things. And um, <laughs> the, the, he, he ended up talking to me one time, uh, or and more than, and then it ended up being more than one. And, and I would, you know, tor- I, I would get sucked in my day talking sometimes this man would be in my office or I'd be chatting with him in the parking lot for you know two hours I'd be outside my car I remember one time standing outside my car for like two hours talking to this man about life about faith about where he had been about uh he and and all these different things and he was being shunned by some members in the in the par you know on the parish administration because they knew where he had been and I just couldn't do it. And finally, one day, somebody confronted me about it. And they said, why are you spending all this time? I see you standing in the parking lot with this guy after work. Like, and, and, and he's just talking your ear off for two hours. Why are you doing that? He's been involved in X, Y, and Z, and this and that, and this and that. And, and, I, and I turned to that person. I just said to him, you know, I, I really don't care about this man's past. I said, I, said, I, I know and I think he knows that he's done some things that aren't really great in life. But he's, he's going to confession. He's going to Mass. His, his life is turning around. And, and Christ is calling him. And you know what? Here's what you're doing. You're, 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 you're judging. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're not only judging him, you're now judging me. Because I'm spending my free time talking to this man about faith. And I just have a pro- I have a problem with that. I have a big problem I, and and it, it it shocked this person and, and kind of jolted them like and she and, and they never talked to me about it again. They, they they never addressed me or that or that issue again. Because you know we but but it's so easy to do. It's so easy to oh I know that person. I I know yeah, I know exactly who they are. They're the, they're the guy that's involved in organized crime in Chicago. I don't want to be anywhere. So, but what happens when that guy has a St. Paul moment and he comes back to the church and he falls off his horse? Who's going who's gonna to be there for him then in his journey? Are, are you? Are you going to offer the forgiveness or are you, you going to continue to persecute? Like, you know, and, 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 and folks, I've, I've been on both ends of it. I've seen both ends of it. I've, I've done the persecuting. I'm, not, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm far from sainthood. You know, um, I, I, you know, I can think of a thousand instances where I've, where I've been on the other side of it. And I've, but, but, you know, we got to reflect. We got to take time to be able to say, you know what, and slow ourselves down and say, and give ourselves that reality check and be like, no, I'm not going to, I, I, I'm going to believe that, that God does and can and will change hearts. Amen. And I'm, thinking of some ideas along those lines because when we look back on our lives and some of us who are over the age of 18 and you look at times like high school where there were times that there was the popular group of kids and then there were always those ones that and maybe you know I, I know I've experienced it myself where you felt left out or when you were the only one by yourself and not picked for you know, when they, when they pick teams in gym class and things like that, um, as simple as that sounds, but, you know, that's a good example, I think, for us to reflect on is that if you've seen that happen in your life before, either you know what it feels like, or you've seen it being done to other people and it's not good. And it happens in family life too. I hate to say it, Bill, I know you understand that. 
Um, it does happen in, in families and extended families and with parents and with siblings. I think especially when they get older, you know, beyond living in the same house, uh, you get a lot of that sort of like family gossip. Um, you know, I think parents are called to bring peace to families and not to try to pit siblings against each other. Parents are not called to talk about one child to one, one and then the other to the other. And then, you know, I don't know about you, Bill, you're expecting a baby. And by this time, a little Elvin has been born because we're pre-recording this one. Um, but for me, if my kids were not peaceful together, and if they didn't have a good relationship all the way around with one another, I wouldn't want that to be. I, won't, I would want them to, to be peaceful. And so I think that that's what's part of being that peacemaker too, not forcing it, right? Not forcing it, but we also don't want to be a reason to make it happen, to, to the marginalization happen, if, if you would agree on that. And I would want to say one more thing if I could. Oh, yeah. Just backing up and talking about church life. Uh, talking about church life is the whole idea that pastors, bishops, priests, religious, and even nuns will say sisters and nuns. Uh, there's a lot of focus on sexual, um, you know, what the, the, the sexual crimes that have been committed in the church. And it's yeah. a terrible thing when you think of that. But I want to bring up another point that isn't talked about very often, and that is when priests and religious and pastors and bishops, whoever, use unkind words and persecute people with their words because of their power. That is a wrong thing, and that is completely against, you know, God. So yeah. I don't know if you had anything to say about that, Bill, but I do believe that needs to be said because it is not just about the sexual crimes. It's also about the way we treat human beings. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I, I think treating human beings and being, um, you know, kind it, 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 in that, in that movie Cinderella, right? The most recent remake, uh, there was that beautiful moment, um, where, where, you know, one of the, one of the um, characters told Cinderella, the mother, before uh, she passed away, had told Cinderella, um, always be kind. Always be kind. That, you know, and, and that stuck in her mind, you know. Um, be kind. And I think that that is one of those things that um, we really need to reexamine now, there's a big difference between uh, skirting the truth because of kindness, you know, not representing the full truth of the faith because we think we're being kind. That's actually not being kind, right? When we, when we acquiesce on our beliefs, when we say, oh, no, you know, I'm, I'm going to renounce this because, because it's being kind to somebody to let them persist in – a, you know, and manifest grave sin in their lives. That's, that's, that's not kindness. Yes. Uh, but, but talking about the, the gentleness and the reverence, um, and how we relate the truth, it can be done in a kind way. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I see so many things on Facebook, you know, that, you know, where, where people just write like, you know, wild outlandish uh you know things on <laughs> on facebook like he's an agent of satan well what has that accomplished you know what what has that actually accomplished you know um did did that accomplish anything or did it just turn a bunch of people off to you you know um the the kindness I think is really important. So when people come into a parish setting, when and and when they see, um, you know, the the sins and failings of the of the church, you know, uh, uh, of of the church officials, it's not just the sexual sins. You're right, but 
the reality is is that every every pre every person, regardless of whether they're a priest, a bishop, a religious sister, a deacon, they also are sinners, just like you are, you know, and um, we have to remember that. Do we hold clergy to a higher standard? Yes. Should we? Absolutely. But I believe, and I truly mean that we have to recognize that they too are, are fighting a battle. They too are struggling and fighting their own battle in in their lives. Amen. Right? Oh, absolutely. Glad you said that. I mean, I brought that up also because I think it needed to be said, but it, this applies to everybody. I mean, this kindness rule, like you said, it's, it's not just to say, hey, do whatever you want. Go ahead and sin and go do something terrible. It's not about that. It's about the way that people who come to us that are quote unquote, these nuisance people, right? They really just want maybe some advice or maybe need our help in some way or a listening ear is that we just have to be careful because that's really the demonstration, as it said in that article, of the nuisance people that we, we tend to put those labels on that we're better than them, right? We're not better than them. Yeah. And we shouldn't act like we are. And we shouldn't feel like they're a nuisance. We could be a nuisance to somebody else too. So right. when somebody, whether it be a homeless person, whoever comes up to you, don't act like, you know, none of us should act like we're better than anybody else because we're not. Right. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter who has a better job. It doesn't matter who has a bigger house. It doesn't matter who has a nicer hairstyle. And it doesn't matter who has a better Catholic ministry. I'm going <laughs> to just say that too. Yeah. Right. Because there's a lot of even of comparison stuff, even within Catholic nonprofits and ministries that people say they want to become this or that or that everybody knows who we are. Is that really what it's about? No. That you just want to say you're the best and the most recognized, you know, nonprofit or something like that. Right. Is it more about like who you're helping? Yeah. And, and doing God's well. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing I'll just say this for people out there who are listening Know your limitations. You know, know your limitations. Know your own weaknesses. Because in those situations, when, you know, if you're finding somebody as a nuisance, if you're finding them as a nuisance, know the limitation. Recognize, okay, God, I perceive this person to be a nuisance in my life. You know, they keep coming in here asking me for help. I don't know how to help them. Well, it, it, a, a really good suggestion is to get the qualified people around them. Because the... When, when you find and give people actual help, actual meaningful help, they're, you know, God wants to solve their problems. There's a reason why they're coming into the office or they're coming into your ministry asking for this. You know, I need this. I need a deeper prayer life. I need a deep, I, I, I need some money for gas. I need whatever they're coming to ask you for. When you solve the need, then you build up their faith, right? You know, isn't there that line in the Bible? I forget which um, book it's in, but there's a but there's a line that says, you know, it, you know, if if somebody comes to you asking for a glass of water and you say, "I'm going to pray for you," and you know, and send them on your way, you've done no good for them, you know, like. And and I'm paraphrasing that, but that's the reality. Like, like you know, we also have to have work, and it works without faith is you know, faith without works is dead. We we have to be able to do the works. Like you know, we have to be able to have the, the works. And if somebody's coming to you for with a genuine need in their life, help them solve the need. You are not maybe called to personally solve that need. But do they need to speak with a therapist? Do they need to get some financial counseling? Do they need to get uh, something else? I remember a guy came came into the office uh, on, on the day that snowed the most in Wisconsin. It was like snowing beyond snow. And all of the all of the roads were closed. Uh, you know, uh, you know, our, our, our priest said, go home. And I I lived a block and a half from the church. And there was Eucharistic adoration going on during the day. And he was like, just go home. I'm like, Father, I can stay here. You know, it's no problem. I can, I can work in the basement. I can walk home later. And that's what I did. And so I stayed and I, I worked the day. And everybody else went home. 
except for the people who were close by and, and praying in Eucharistic adoration. Well, this guy came in riding a bicycle, bicycle to the parish. And um, I was sitting in my office and, and he needed help. He was, he was doing a ride. He was doing a ride from uh, to raise awareness for, for like uh, cancer or something for, for, for a child. He was riding a bicycle across the United States, you know, in, in raising funds and awareness and all this stuff. And he, and, and he wasn't even Catholic. He was, he was Episcopalian. And his name was Ben. He comes down. He's wandering around the office, and he goes, "Listen, I can't ride another step. I, you know, I, I, I'm supposed to be at a youth hostel, staying at a youth hostel in Madison, which is, you know, like, like, uh, geez, 60, 70 miles from where we are. There's no way this guy's riding a, a bicycle in this." And he goes, "You know," and he's like, "Well, you know, is there anything I can do? Can I stay here?" I'm like. No, you certainly can't stay here in the parish, man. Like, you know, and, and I said, you know what? Let me see if I can get somebody and call somebody. And like, this guy needed help, you know? And so um, no, nobody would pick up their phones. Nobody would answer. You know, it's like, okay, I, I, I don't have all this money to go buy a hotel for him or anything like that. I can't, I'm not going to do that, uh, you know, to stay overnight or anything. But I ended up calling a homeless shelter, not getting any response from the homeless shelter i just drove over there <laughs> i put his bike in the back of my car and i took him over to this homeless shelter i said this guy needs one night can, can you put him up and um they they took him right they they took him and they they let him stay the night but like that's what i mean like solve the need solve the need Amen. I, I wasn't oh, that called, was a great story but i wasn't called to put him up or you know in my place overnight i wasn't called to buy a hotel for him i wasn't i i was i was called to solve the need and 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 if we don't give people actual help did i ever see ben again in my life no you know but but in that moment i was called to help him and he got in he got his bike and i'm sure he got to madison the next day when they're out you know rose report you know uh, rose were plowed but but I mean, this is what we're called to do as as as, as Christians and, and as Catholics, you know. And this fights the persecution. Believe it or not, it actually fights persecution, <laughs> you know, be, because of, because if I wouldn't have given him that help, how would have he felt? Well, the Catholics, all they do, all they do is write them off. You know, all they do is write people off. You know, that that fights the mentality of persecuting somebody, right? No, this guy helped me out. You know, and. They, they must not be all that bad, you know. That's a beautiful story, Bill. Thank you. I mean, and, and it makes so much sense. This has been a great podcast because it's something that we can all reflect on. So I just want to invite you who are listening to keep thinking about this one. I mean, read through the whole Beatitudes. You know, we're finished with this series, but I'm sure that Bill and I will be doing another series soon. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Um, and as I said, we have a whole total of eight programs on the, the Beatitudes. So go to Patchwork Heart Ministry YouTube channel and subscribe if you haven't already and go to the playlist for the Beatitudes. Bill, thank you so much for all of your wisdom during this podcast. <laughs> and likewise, Anne, it's always a pleasure doing this with you. And so, folks, mm -hmm. uh, we thank you so much for tuning in. As always, check out our websites uh, for more information about us. But uh, if you're new to the podcast, keep listening. And thank you, as always, keep beating to your Catholic heart and sowing hope into broken hearts. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sowing Hope on Patchwork Heart Radio. For more information about this podcast and our ministries, visit our websites, patchworkheart.org and andesantis.com. You can also follow and interact with us on Twitter at PWH Ministry or Andy Santos 2. Over 2,000 years ago, two disillusioned disciples walked along a dusty road to Emmaus. They had just witnessed Jesus, their friend and leader, 
whom they hoped to be the Messiah, suffer a gruesome death by crucifixion. Doubt, fear, and uncertainty clouded their conversation as they journeyed home questioning the future. Until something miraculous happened. The risen Jesus appeared and answered their questions. Today, many young Catholics step onto college campuses with numerous questions about their faith, yearning to know if the seed of faith given to them as a child is both true and practical. Using the miracle on the road to Emmaus as a model, young adult ministers conversed weekly for three months with college students about the most pressing questions they had about the Catholic faith. As they journeyed together virtually, something amazing happened. Doubts disappeared, fears faded, and Jesus revealed that he is still alive. Hearts Burning Within Us, the latest book from Patchwork Heart Ministry, scheduled to be released in the summer of 2021, is a result of that grace-infused conversation. To pre-order your copy and help spread the word about the book, visit patchworkheart.org.